good morning, church. Hey, do me a favor. Some of your friends were afraid that it was so cold that they would not be able to open their door. So they just stayed home and they're watching us online. Would you welcome them as they're joining us today? Not that bad. We almost saw our breath. It was almost that cold, but not that bad. Sometimes you have to let go in order to experience the best that is in front of you. I can remember what it felt like as a child. As I climbed that tower at Camp McCall in the mountains of South Carolina to rappel down. It couldn't have been that tall, but in my mind as a young boy, it was just slightly under the height of the Empire State Building. It seemed really tall. I had been given some clear guidelines. In my harness, I was being spotted by a person on the ground even as I climbed up. When I got to the top, I was told where to position my hand behind my back and what to say. I would shout down, on belay, belay on, they would say. And then when I was ready, I was to say, repelling, and they would say, repel. But at that moment, there was still something to be done. If I was going to get from the top of that tower back to the ground, if I was going to repel, I had to let go. The fear and anxiety that I felt in that moment was eclipsed only by the adrenaline and excitement that I experienced going down from that tower. What a rush. What a feeling. How cool that was. But before I could experience it, I, I had to let go. I would do that a lot more. In fact, I would become a counselor at that very camp and I would coach boys and teenagers how they could rappel down that tower. But this remained true. No matter how many times I experienced that, even a couple of years ago when Kimberly and I were in the jungles of Mexico and we were on a high ropes course and the time came for me to rappel, <sighs> letting go is never easy. Jesus had just finished teaching us how to pray. He literally showed us how to tap into the power of God. But at the end of his prayer, he makes something clear. There are some things that every Christ follower must let go of in order for us to take hold of what God has prepared for us. So wherever you go in your mind's eye, you can think of a moment like I described. Maybe it was in the arms of your father or the swim instructor who was teaching you to swim in the pool and you had to let go. Maybe it was that first time on the bike without training wheels, and you just had to go for it and let go. Maybe it was when you walked on stage at that recital or performance, or your first time on the field, and you just had to let go of all that was holding you back. 
See, Jesus was saying, as Christ followers, there are some things you have to let go of if you're going to take hold of what God has prepared for you. So let me ask you, did you know that God had prepared some things for you? When you woke up this morning, did, did you know that God already had an agenda that, that he wanted you to walk in? In fact, this is what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God revealed it to us in his spirit. You have the opportunity as a result of the Spirit of God through prayer to tap into that which God has prepared for you. But in order to do that, there's some things you're going to have to let go of. So here's what I want us to do. I want to pray one more time. And, and would, you, would you humor me? Would maybe you just hold your hands out before God, just open palms before Him. And as we pray... Would you just make this commitment? If God says so, will you let go? Not the, the preacher, not, not me, but if God says so, will you let go today? Father, that's our prayer in Jesus' name. That you would so stir in our hearts and minds, giving us the ears that would hear, the eyes that would see the truth straight from your lips, Jesus, that change us to the point of letting go. What I'm asking, God, is that you would work in such a clear way, Holy Spirit, that you would move amongst us today, giving us what we need that we don't have, teaching us fresh and new truths from Scripture, making us different. Father, I pray that I would not get in the way of that. The words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, even in this moment. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take out or turn on your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. The reality is Jesus is teaching us so much of the basic truth about our faith. He began in chapter 5 with what we call the Beatitudes, how it looks to live the blessed life. He then reminded us that we are the salt and the light. We're to make a difference right where we are in our little corner of the world. He then gives us what theologians call the antithesis, those little bits of Scripture where he said, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. And he raises the standard. Jesus always raises the standard for us. And then as he begins chapter 6, Jesus just does a master class on spiritual discipline. And it's kind of a good time of the year to think about discipline, those things that we should be doing to make us look more like Jesus right where we live, right where we work, right where we play. He's going to talk about giving. He, he's done that a little bit and he'll do it again. We'll cover that next week. He, he's going to talk about prayer. He gives us that model prayer. 
And then today we're, we're seeing this passage of scripture that seems to stand alone where he deals with two other things that are disciplines in the Christ follower's life. But just think about what he taught us through prayer, that model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Jesus wanted us to understand prayer is the pathway by which we experience the power of God. I hope that this week you've tapped into that power that you've experienced the power of God in your life. But in this whole section, Jesus kind of is reminding us again and again that there's more to it than just words. There's more to it than just motion. It's true of us here. Man, I, I commend you. It's cold out there, and yet you're here in church. But, but we're not here just to check a box. We're not here just to jump through a hoop, just to go through rituals. No, our motives matter, right? Jesus was saying, your motive matters. So when you pray, don't be like this. And then he begins to talk about these other two areas. Look at verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, it seems a little odd that he just jumps back in right there, but we have to remember that he had just said, not only give us this day our daily bread, but forgive us our trespasses. That's what? We forgive those who trespass against us. So Jesus is picking back up on that. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. And then when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I want to suggest today that Jesus was giving us these two things together. He was trying to help us see that some things go together. You understand that, right? Let me see if you can help me out. Like peanut butter and, or Adam and ham and, no, see, that's what some people said. It's ham and eggs. Ham and eggs go together. Bread and cookies and arts and, you got it, copy and hugs and lightning and. Now, about half of y'all are not even participating, and it's really starting to hurt my feelings. Let's, let's jump in, finish strong, like macaroni and cheese. there's the cheese, see? Peas and Romeo and Samson and and salt and pepper. One of my favorite gifts I've ever received. We've got this family that was moving to Texas, and they gave me and Pastor Zach matching 
salt and pepper shakers. And my face was on the salt shaker. And his face was on the pepper shaker. We go together like salt and pepper. Brothers from a different mother. Jesus was saying this whole idea of forgiveness and fasting, there's a way they go together. I I think this is what it is. Before you can take hold of the power made available to you through prayer, you must let go through forgiveness and fasting. I'm going to challenge you over the next few minutes together to let go. Say let go. Through the discipline of forgiveness and through the discipline of fasting. So let's talk about letting go. First, we take hold of God's power when we let go of our hurts by forgiving others. We take hold of God's power when we let go of hurts by forgiving others. Now, listen to those words of Jesus again. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is big. But I want you to understand, there's no true representation of the Christian faith. that doesn't have forgiveness at its core. You're not understanding what the gospel is all about if you've not tapped into this principle, this discipline, this godly practice of forgiveness. And there's all kinds of things that hold people in church back But after a lifetime hanging out with people like you, and and I've done this all my life. haven't reminded you in a couple of months maybe. You know, I grew up with a drug problem. I was drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday. I mean, I was there all the time. And sure, alcoholism impacts people and destroys family. And and sure, there's all kind of sexual sin that gets involved even in the church and causes people to go off course. But man, if I could name one thing that is impacting People like us, it's this issue of unforgiveness. And so Jesus says, if you really want the power that's available to you, that comes through connecting with God in prayer, then don't take lightly this issue of forgiveness. The scripture is full of this. In Colossians 3.13, it says, bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then that verse, I feel like we say almost every week, be kind to one another, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Forgiveness is letting go of that which is eating you from the inside out. That's why often we give you that little quote. I'm not sure where it originated, but somebody said it. It makes sense. Bitterness is that poison that we drink. While we wait for somebody else to die. And most of us have had moments like that in our life. Where we've been hurt. Somebody did wrong to us. Maybe you were abused. Or even the victim of a crime. And you hold on to that. And you you have difficulty letting go of that. 
And when your head hits the pillow at night, I mean, you think about that and you're thinking, man, how can I get even? How can I get back at them? It's eating away at you. When in reality, most of the time, that other person, they're not even thinking about it. They've moved on. So Jesus commands forgiveness. But then he tells us that forgiveness is conditional. You really, really want to experience forgiveness? Then you'd better figure this thing out. Let me jump straight to something that you have to question when you read these words. Does that mean that, that if you don't forgive, you lose your salvation? No. I, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe once you're truly saved, you were saved. And Pastor Nick did a masterful job just a couple of weeks ago explaining that from scriptures. Go listen to that online and, and embed that truth in your heart. Once Jesus has gripped your life, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you and he never lets go. But I do think that these words of Jesus imply to us that there may be some Who are talking the talk, but they're not truly saved because they've not understood what it means to walk with Christ like forgiveness. So, just a quick question for you Are, are you forgiven? Do you need forgiveness? We'll come back to that. Let me tell you a few things that forgiveness is not. This, this is what forgiveness does not mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean you feel better about whatever happened. Right? Because forgiveness is a choice. It's not just a feeling. We learn in here that our decisions, our life is not guided by feelings. How silly would that be? Man, I have some really rotten days. I have days I don't want to be around anybody, even myself. I don't want to get out of bed. I mean, if my life were guided by feelings, no telling the choices I would make. No, my life is guided by belief and convictions I have that come from the Word of God. So forgiveness is, is not a feeling. It's a choice. Secondly, forgiveness does not mean you pretend nothing happened or that you were not hurt. The truth is, you don't have that capacity. And somebody along the way told us something that your mama or daddy repeated, and it's just not true. You can't forgive and forget. You don't have that ability. You're not that good. In fact, I only know of one who can. That's what God does. Do you know the Bible says when he forgives you, he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west? And it, it literally says that he forgets it. That's why when we have confessed our sins to God, who's been faithful to forgive and to cleanse us of our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, when we bring that back up, we're doing something that Scripture says that God can't even do. But in our lives, when we've been hurt, man, that really happened. It also doesn't mean you're condoning what took place. Forgiveness doesn't say, oh, it's okay, it's all right, it wasn't a big deal. That's not forgiveness. It doesn't mean you have to trust the other person or, or build an instant relationship with them. 
You may never have a relationship with some of the people that have hurt you. In fact, did you know that their time, Scripture says, have nothing to do with people? Did you know that? The book of Titus says when, when you have a divisive person, warn them once, warn them twice, and then have nothing to do with them. As I'm reading through the Scriptures, I'm reminded how many times it says of Jesus as he's commanding and training his disciples, and how many times it says of Paul in the New Testament that sometimes you just have to shake the dust off of your feet and keep moving. Forgiveness also does not mean that you relieve the other person of responsibility. So what does forgiveness mean? It does mean you release the wrongdoer from the debt they owe you and you release yourself from bitterness. Pastor Craig Rochelle says forgiveness is giving others what God gave us. Ken Sandy writes a lot about making peace with others and yourself. And I love what he says about forgiveness. He says, in response to God's love for me and in reliance on his grace, I forgive you. And in particular with God, God's help, here's what forgiveness will mean to me. I will not dwell on the incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. So I ask you again, have you been forgiven? Do you need to forgive? Let me just put this in kind of the context of what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We talk about this a lot here because this is core to our faith. It's kind of the thing. So this is what scripture teaches. You and me. When we were born, regardless of what country, regardless of what family, regardless of whether your family took you to church like mine did or not, we were all born separated from God. And we were separated from God because of this thing in our life called sin. And sin was not just what we did, it is who we are. We are sinners. But because we are sinners, we keep sinning. So here's the deal. Sin is anything I do that God said, don't do that. You can hurt yourself. Like when a parent says, don't touch the hot stove. So when God tells us, don't do that, there's a reason. He's doing it for our protection and our preservation. So just quick question. Let's get involved. Keep you involved here. Keep you awake. How many of you this week said, yeah, yeah. I, I think since Sunday, I've done some things that God said, don't do that. Anybody besides me? A couple of y'all honest back there. All right, but that's not all sin is. Sin is also when we don't do the things that God says do, right? And a lot of his scripture has positive admonition of, of things we should do if we want to look like Jesus. In fact, that's the whole next half of the message. So be careful when I ask this next question. How many of you think just in the last seven days, just in the last seven days, you've not done some of the things that God said to do? Let me see your hands. That should be all of us. Yeah, of course. Well, here's the reality. The Bible says that is sin. Sin separates us from God, but it doesn't stop there. It says if it's left undealt with, sin has to be punished. And there's only one right punishment. And that's death. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin, the payment, the punishment for sin is death. So how can sin be dealt with? Well, there's only one way. It has to be forgiven. 
And here's why we call this good news. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, in him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God sent his son, Jesus, his one and only son. Jesus died on the cross, taking the punishment for your sin so that you wouldn't have to be punished. He dealt with your sin by offering you forgiveness, and he did that once and for all. Isn't that worth celebrating, church? That's good news. But here's the deal. You have to receive God's forgiveness. You have to receive it once to begin a relationship with him. That moment in your life where you recognize, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven and saved. I believe you died on the cross for me, and I know you're alive today. I receive your forgiveness. I surrender my life. But then, unfortunately, on this side of heaven, we keep sinning. And so that's why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, just like you're asking for daily bread, remember to ask for daily forgiveness because you need it. So for the third time, I'm going to ask you, have you been forgiven? If so, according to Jesus, you must be a forgiver. If you don't let go, you won't take hold of what God has prepared for you. Do you now see why Jesus would say this is so important? In a moment, I'm going to ask you if I can pray for you about this issue in your life. But I want you to think about it. Is there something you need to let go of through forgiveness? Is there someone you need to forgive? We take hold of God's power when we let go of our hurts by forgiving others. But the second thing Jesus says is we take hold of God's power when we let go of hunger through intentional fast. So we go from this deeply internal issue that eats away at us to something very primary and external, something we all do, something people have been doing since the garden, the beginning of creation. We, we go to eating. That's what Jesus talks about. Matthew 6, verse 16. When you fast, when, when you fast, what, what does Jesus assume of his disciples? Don't make me come down there. What does Jesus assume of his disciples? He assumes that we fast. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting. But only to your Father who's unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There are things that will come to you only through fasting. But your motive matters. Both forgiveness and fasting are disciplines of surrender. At, at the core of our faith is this idea we'll never experience what God wants us to experience until we raise the white flag of surrender. 
That's why we sing hymns like what I grew up with. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus. I surrender all to him. I freely give. The Christ follower has to understand this concept of surrender. And we struggle with that. We're willing, we're willing to confess. I, I think people do that relatively easily. Because we look in the mirror. We know where we mess up. We're even open to repentance. We want to do better, so we'll say, okay, I'm going to change. But this idea of surrender, it, it means that I'm resigning as the one who's in control of my life. I'm, I'm yielding authority to somebody bigger than me. This idea of surrender, man, that's where we stump our toes. And so Jesus gives us a way that is very practical. He assumes this discipline of fasting. We know Jesus assumes it before he says this because he began his ministry with a 40-day fast. Before he ever started to show people who he was, he fasted. He pulled aside regularly with his disciples and encouraged them to fast. The early church, those who followed after him, they fasted. Jesus would say in John 4, 32, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You see, the reality is fasting was a common religious practice in that day. And it is today to everybody around the world except to Christians in our culture. I grew up in a great church that believed the Bible. You know what I heard about fasting growing up? Zero. And yet Jesus assumes that this is something you do because it unleashes things in your life that could not be unleashed in any other way. That's why later when the, when the disciples would say to him, Jesus explained to us how you are doing these things that we can't do. He responds by saying, some things come only by prayer and fasting. But Jesus doesn't want them just to go through the rituals like a lot of the religious people do. He continues to be concerned about the motives. And this just reminds us that something in our fallen hearts yearns to be applauded. We learn that as children. We want to walk onto the field or the court or the stage and have everybody go, Great job! Man, look at you! But if the praise of man is what you're after, you'll get it. But Jesus is saying that's all you get. If you live your life in such a way that you seek the praise of God, then you get the bigger things. Of course, sometimes we will be seen fasting. I'm going to call you in a moment to consider fasting. That's not the issue. There's a difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. Our motive matters. We're not to worry about being seen by others, but be intentional about being seen by God. Lord, see my hunger for you. What was happening was similar to what was happening with prayer. Remember how the hypocrites would pray publicly and they would swoop in and want everybody to see them praying? Jesus is implying that people who would fast would come in and it would be like, oh, no. What's wrong with you? Oh, I'm just miserable. Why are you so miserable? Oh, I'm fasting. 
I mean, that's, that's literally what Jesus describes. He says, Who do, that doesn't help anything. So what is a fast? A fast is that which brings, according to Jesus, a great reward. We don't just fast from things. We fast for his greater purposes in our life. It's a practical and tangible application of, of John 3.30. John 3.30 says he must become greater and I must become less. So fasting is when we say, Jesus, I want more of you and less of, of me. I, I want to make much of you and make less of me. It's a conscious seeking of more of Jesus in your life. My friend Ronnie Floyd puts it this way. He says it's abstaining from food with a spiritual goal in mind. The great pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones says it's abstaining from food for certain reasons and purposes. Someone has said it's simply telling the flesh no to say yes to what Jesus has for you. Dr. Tony Evans says fasting is a time to set aside the physical in order to gain something more important in the spiritual. Charles Stanley says fasting increases our sense of humility and dependence on the Lord. It allows us Spirit of God to work and speak in our lives, showing us things that we didn't notice before. It's as if Jesus was saying, prayer connects you to God and his power, but fasting disconnects you from the world and its power. Andrew Murray, the Puritan, had so much to say about prayer and fasting. He said, prayer is reaching out after the unseen, but fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, and confirm the resolution that we're ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. So why do we do that? Well, I thought you'd never ask. Because this is the punchline. And we should do it just because Jesus said to do it. But let me give you some of the benefits. We get spiritual cleansing. Something about getting to that point of need, drawing us closer to God, exposes the dirt in us that needs to be dealt with. John Mark Comer says this about fasting. He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Very few practices have the capacity to humble us as fasting does. When you begin fasting, it's common to feel sad, even anxious, or just plain angry. Hangry. With regular practice, these feelings mostly go away and are replaced by joy, contentment, and a sense of intimacy with God and spiritual power. But it takes a while to wean your soul off of its addiction to the Western gods of pleasure, instant gratification, and sensory appetites. The first thing it normally does is to reveal where you are still in bondage. So it, it brings spiritual cleansing. But secondly, it, it gives a spiritual breakthrough. Now, some of you, just on the cleansing part, you'd say, all right, I need it. <laughs> I can look in the mirror. I'm spiritually dirty. But some of you, it, it's not that obvious. But there are hurts and habits and hang-ups in your life that are keeping you from God's best. You have addictions, things that are controlling you, and you need breakthrough. Fasting brings us to that point. You may need to fast just for spiritual direction, to know and do God's will. You may need to fast for spiritual protection. Maybe your family is like my family, and you've got some needs that you're just crying out to God and say, God, would you intervene in this process at this moment in time? 
If you want some homework, you could go read Isaiah 58 and really get a a lesson on the benefits of fasting. Derek Prince gives us these 10 benefits. I'm going to fly through these just from Isaiah 58. Fasting sheds light of God into our life. It gives us help in our lives. It provides righteousness for our lives and the glory of God in our life. It shows us answered prayer in our life. It's continual guidance in our life. It brings satisfaction in our life or refreshing in our life or work that endures and restoration in our life. So here's the question. Is God calling you Is God calling you to take hold of his power by letting go of hunger and experiencing, maybe for the first time, an intentional fast? Because that's what Jesus assumes you're doing. I mean, how silly will it be if when we stand face to face with him and he treats us kind of like the woman at the well he asks questions he already knows the answer to so how did you do on the spiritual disciplines well I did okay how about fasting how was it well I never tried that one yeah I know by the way when people talk about fasting today you know what I hear I'm going to fast from social media You probably need to fast from social media, but I I don't think that God's in heaven going, I'm so glad you're fasting from Facebook. Good job. I'm going to fast from technology. You may need to fast from technology. I'm going to fast from TV. Well, that'll probably help you spiritually. But just don't confuse the issue. Jesus was talking about a practical, tangible food fast. That's all that's taught in scripture. So I want you to think some about how you might do that. For some of you, there are medical concerns. And that's okay. You probably don't need to take this step fully uh, until you talk to a doctor, okay? Others of you say, I I might want to inch into this. So you might say, I want to fast a meal. Or or some people do kind of a, a, a sun up to a sun down fast. And they eat before that and eat after that. Some some people do like a liquid fast or a juice fast. Be careful about that juice fast. A few years ago, I did that for about 40 days. I forgot to know that juices, even from fruit, are full of sugar. Man, I was bouncing off the walls. It was sugar high. Some people do just a, a liquid fast. Or you may want to jump all in if you think you can do that and whether it's for a meal or whether it's for a day or a portion of a day do just a water fast hey let's do that tomorrow because what I've been guilty of for about 30 years I've become somewhat effective at teaching God's word but where the rubber hits the road is where we apply it where you apply it. What if we said, Jesus, this was important to you, so we're not going to let another 24 go by without trying this. I'm, I'm going to ask you in just a moment. Remember what we prayed. God, if you say so, 
Help me to let go. All right? Well, hey, coming up, you've got another opportunity for that. So on February 21st, we're going to start, like we've done for years, 40 days of prayer and fasting leading up to Easter. And I want you to put that on your calendar. Starting February 21st, so about a month away, join us for 40 days of prayer and fasting as a church leading up to Easter. What would happen if we do that? So man, it's a pretty simple message really. Very straightforward. What do you need to let go of in order to take hold of God's power in your life? What do you need to let go of in order to take hold of God's power in your life? And then you just decide and let go. All right, bow your heads with me. So we're going to make this real practical as we respond. Every time we open God's Word, we respond in a lot of different ways. We encourage you to give. We sing. Sometimes we invite you to come forward, but always we're responding to God's Word. What are you saying, Lord? So... Um, Somebody here, man, a great crowd like this on a cold day, somebody needs to begin a relationship with Jesus. See, you've never received his forgiveness for that first time once and for all. You've never asked Jesus to assume control of your life. And so today, maybe right where you are, right in this moment, you need to pray a simple prayer. We call it a prayer of salvation. It's your opportunity to be born into the family of God, to be saved. And so you would pray a prayer like this. Just you and him right now. Just say, dear Jesus, just you and him. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I now know that's why you died. to make my forgiveness possible. Thank you, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. And I surrender. You're now in control of my life. Not me, you the rest of my life tell him thank you Jesus our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed if you just prayed that prayer with me I want to just thank God for you if you just prayed that prayer with me would you just slip your hand up across this room that's awesome thank God thank God thank you Lord thank God thank you God it's awesome welcome to God's family guys Welcome to God's family. There's a lot of you here, you've already prayed that prayer somewhere in your journey. You know you're going to heaven. You know you're a Christ follower. But there are a couple other things that I want to give you a chance to respond to. Then we're going to sing about what it means to surrender it to the Lord. Some of you would say, Pastor, that part about forgiveness, it got me today. There's, there's somebody in my life that 
that I need to forgive. Would you just, would you pray for me that I would respond to the message and to the conviction of God's spirit? And would you pray for me that I would forgive and let go? If that's you, nobody's looking around, but you want me to pray for you. And I'm going to do it right now. If you want me to pray for you for that area, for, for forgiveness for somebody in your life, just slip your hand up across the room, all over the room. This is a big issue. Give me, I'll give you just another minute all over the room. So, Father, you see every hand. You know every hurt and every heart. Holy Spirit, you're moving today. Simple message. Oh, so simple and yet so profound for our lives. God, I pray for those brothers and sisters, your children, who acknowledge there's an area where they're missing out because forgiveness needs to be granted in their life. God, I pray that you would give them, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the ability to forgive. And that it will be for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Our heads are still bowed. Our eyes are still closed. And I'm going to get a little more public right now. I'm going to invite some of you to join me tomorrow. You know, sometime our fasts are seen. I'm going to invite some of you to join me tomorrow in fasting. And here's how we're going to fast for tomorrow. We're just going to fast for God's provision. Some of you need it for your family. We've got some needs in my family for provision. But we all need it for the Lord's church here. We've got this massive ministry that God's allowed us to lead. We've got a massive renovation project. I read this morning about Abraham's obedience to take Isaac to the altar. And he depended on God to provide. And guess what? God provided because he always does. Obedience is what we must do. And when we do, the Bible says God will provide. So what I'm asking is some of you to commit to fast with me in some way tomorrow. Just for God's provision. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you, wherever you are right now, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I want to pray for us. If that's you, to stand up right now. I'm going to pray for us that the Holy Spirit of God will give us power, that He'll give us health, the things we need this area of fasting for his provision and obedience to the command of Jesus. Now, Father, around this room, your servants are standing, and it's a standing commitment. Lord, for some, this will be the very first time, and it's, it's, it can be overwhelming. It can be even frightening. Lord, I, I pray that you give us discernment and wisdom of what to do and what not to do. But then, Lord, I pray that you help us to act on the conviction of this moment. And Lord God, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, we declare that you will be honored through corporately us fasting tomorrow. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, everyone else just join us standing. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can commit to you in different ways. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased and you'd be honored even now as we worship you. Lord, as we come before you, as we commit our lives, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our pastors are standing here. Maybe you want to come and pray with someone. You do that even as we worship. You come even now.